My name is Michael Gaia, publisher of The Lead Lag Report. Joining me there is Tony Saliba. Tony, introduce yourself to the audience and to me. Who are you? What's your background? Have you done throughout your career? And what are you doing currently? Good morning, Michael. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Michael, for this. Well, I started out as a floor trader at the CBOE many years ago. And, and I think the underlying theme is I got into technology early on. I had my first program in 1984 because I needed it. So necessity has been kind of the mother of invention for me. And about seven years ago, I, when Bitcoin actually crossed 2000, you know, I thought I knew everything about, about cryptocurrency and blockchain from a lot of studying I did in 09 and early 10 with my research guys at Convergex. But then I just left it and went back to options and didn't pay any attention for about seven years. And when I saw it cross 2000, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this is real. And people trading this are going to need what we do in the option space. So I basically took that core knowledge, that core base of understanding with the same guys that created Liquid Point for me in uh, the early part of this century. And we built out tools for professional traders and brokers to utilize in digital assets. All right, let's take a step back and, and talk about just the, uh, you know, the business that you formed, how, what, what you did on the options side and talk to some of the, the crossovers, so to speak, between that side of the mm-hmm. life and then the crypto. End. Absolutely. Well, for those in your audience that trade options, they know there's a lot of diversity, variety. You can plug in your risk profile and hedge it or exploit it any way, fate, shape, or fashion. And digital assets, particularly cryptocurrencies, lend themselves to options so nicely due to the movement, the volatility, a lot of uncertainty. And when somebody comes into a new market, a large player, professional institution, for instance, they're not just going to fire up a website or get a trading terminal and start banging away. They're usually going to talk to somebody that knows what they're doing first. And that broker, that agent, that specialist requires a tool set like in options that can handle a lot of different securities, a lot of different trading components, a lot of different assets that move around and be able to do things on behalf of, slice and dice them, uh, get alerts and warnings. You know, workflow automation may sound boring, but for the most part, uh, men and women who are are doing this all day, every day, need the tools so they can do more, faster, safer, more efficiently for their clients. So that's what we did in options, Michael. We, as a market maker, I used brokers whenever I was off the floor or when I was trading in another pit. And I learned a lot by what, watching what they did and said, I can help you do that in less movements, less uh, risk. And, and so we built out technology in the late 90s, which became the mainstay in options, even till today. That's the number one used product for brokers and professionals on the options exchanges. And a lot of upstairs people was Liquid Point. And that's still, it's under a different name today, but that's the technology that we built 20 some years ago. We're in our fourth generation of that technology today. Now, of course, that, that technology was putting together fragmented parts to create the efficiencies that you were doing on the option side. We know with crypto, obviously, 
the appeal is like decentralization. I am curious to hear how uh, the crypto trading space from a piping perspective compares. I've got to imagine it's in some ways easier and in some ways a lot more complex. Correct. Well, that's a, a great way to tee it up. If you don't care about certain things that institutions care about, it's a lot easier. DeFi is wonderful for us to just, you know, download a wallet and go and get on board the hottest coin or whatever the mover that you think is going to happen. But if you're a bank or a brokerage or an institution where investors, speculators, hedgers, people involved in, as we would call TradFi or, or, you know, traditional markets require, and that's separation of a lot of these functions. And then DeFi starts to become a, a little hanky, a little bit out of the realm of what would be acceptable. You have different levels of requirements, AML, KYC, for instance, for Americans. You have some institutions that want to know the provenance of the digital assets that they're buying. So there are basically a, a bifurcation of DeFi and centralized access that is coming together in some way, shapes, and forms by some of these patches or some of these mixed liquidity pools that allow institutional liquidity providers to get access to DeFi and vice versa. What what Liquid Mercury does is deliver the technology to those folks. And we connect to over 50 venues and help traditional financial institutions access the venues they want with the safety and security that, you know, is their minimum. And that would be separation of custodial solutions, separation of the clearing and obviously the venues delivering the matching engine and verify all that. So we see traditional finance was really getting excited in early 2022. Then you had, you know, the summer of Three Arrows and Voyager and a lot of the, you know, over lending, extending of, of credit and sec lending for, you know, tokens blow up. And then a few months later, you had, you know, the FTX situation and people sort of pulled in their horns a bit. Nobody said this isn't for me. They wanted to wait and see how things played out. And then it was clear that this was just a fraudulent situation where, you know, the emperor has no clothes and nobody really wanted to call them out while, you know, things were riding high. That being behind us to a great degree, we're seeing those institutions now starting to make their decisions a little clearer and asking for safeguards and protections against those kind of things easily happening. So, uh, you know, I see a convergence of the two spaces. I see a different asset class that is going to be used for, you know, real world assets more. And, you know, just because the, you know, just because the initial tokens got out to a big jump and maybe there was some, you know, problems with them. I don't see that going forward. You used an interesting word that you said patches. So that takes me to the existing infrastructure in TradFi. If it's easy to retrofit or whatever you want to call it to the crypto space, especially given all the hype around, yeah, Bitcoin ETF, spot ETF coming out to market. How complicated is it to, to merge the two, the TradFi space, the crypto space with the existing TradFi infrastructure? Great line of uh, questioning there, Michael. So 
you remember what we went through in Y2K, right? So the whole world was like on its ear for 18 months or whatever, while retired COBOL and Fortran programmers were pulled out of their easy chairs to come on and help me fix these legacy systems so they don't break when the clock turns to 2000. That isn't the case for the most part. But depending upon what is desired by the institution, there is a retooling, okay? We have, you know, obviously the number of decimal points that we're going to go. Basically, there's a, a whole switchover that's going to be required by these institutions because their existing systems just won't handle these assets. The side-by-side nature will, hap- will actually happen for a while before they're all traded in one, on one platform. You see the big guys like NASDAQ and ICE and SIBO exchanges have made moves to have digital arms, okay? And the conversion is going to be uh, gradual for equities because it's such a big market and, and actually listed options may take even longer because, you know, that's like the fastest growing market outside of, of crypto options. But those will all have to be switched over to digital format so that they can be, you know, handled on a blockchain. And that, you know, very boring aspect of the blockchain, which is, you know, a distributed ledger, but it is visible easily and quickly to everyone, is the goal. It's um, cheaper, faster. Well, it's faster for accounting purposes. It isn't fast enough for trading equities and options if you do it all on chain, but they'll continue to move that way and there'll be sort of omnibus clearing and then put up the cleared trades on blockchain. That's where I see it going. So there's a bit of work to be done. The infrastructure companies like ourselves and some of our competition are making those headways with these institutions that are taking steps out there to set up their desks because their customers are demanding this or requesting this. That's why you have Schwab and Fidelity locking arms to provide something for their customers. More and more of that is going to be the case. And like I said, with FTX and other issues really behind us, the onset, as you mentioned, of one or more ETFs going to be approved next month. You know, I would bet on it. This is really going to start to bust things open. On that competition point, I mean, as crypto winter has been underway up until recently, was any real stoppage of money flowing into the building out the infrastructure? Have there been a lot of players that come and gone on the back end? That yes. We hear about? Yeah. It, well, there was this little thing with two letters called AI that kind of swooped in the middle there for about six or nine months and still continuing because of all the hype around, you know, generative AI that started to take the oxygen out of the room for building out infrastructure. But we've actually, you know, seen that maybe turn the corner here in the last month or so as Bitcoin's crossed 35,000 now, you know, heading to 50,000, people are taking notice again. So, you know, we dug in early on and thought we had what everybody needed. We thought we had the solution that was going to get rid of this, what I would call e-commerce sort of methodology, trade on a website, a very serious asset. But over the last few years, we've 
retooled and tooled up significantly to add features to a traditional financial market functionality set to bring other things that are what I, you know, hate to call crypto native and overused term, but everybody knows what that means. So we've had, we have a really good blend now and you can trade both on our platform. So in one place, there's no one else able to trade digital assets and traditional options with spread books and the whole thing, you know, and then we just, it, it took us a while to get there, but that's our mission. And I think that's what the demand is going to be for. I'm going to make the assumption that one of the maybe more exciting parts of the ETF approval side of things would be options on the spot ETF. Amen. It's so, <laughs> yeah, you're going to see probably a lot of uh, interesting dynamics there. Is Talk about from a firm growth perspective. What do you see coming in the next several years here? I think the expectation is that the Bitcoin ETF, spot ETF, will usher in a whole bunch of other products around non-Bitcoin crypto securities. Mm-hmm. I myself am not so sure of that because I suspect there's going to be a little bit of a wait and see type of juncture for the SEC. But where's the real growth coming from for the infrastructure side beyond the spot ETFs? So from the infrastructure side, derivatives is the big thing. Right now you have onshore here in the US, you know, perps and futures for the most part, but you don't have options trading yet. That is going to be explosive. If you look at Deribit, which has arguably over 90% of the market share, and it's a private company, but my guess is 2022 uh, wide market, Michael, is 400, 500 million in revenues. That may be a little low, but I do know some stakeholders there, and they told me about the distributions. So the way, and this is pretty simple. I mean, this is not going to be new to you or your audience, but just to restate, you know, why are there seven, 18 options exchanges in the U.S. and there's going to be three more added in 2024 that I know of, okay? And they all trade the same products for the most part. And the reason is that the deep, rich tapestry of liquidity in the U.S. options market is the best on the planet. And the cross-trading, the hedging, the arbitraging that goes on in this marketplace is unrivaled of anything as efficient in, in, in the history of our planet. Really, it is. Okay. And none of that is going on in the crypto option space yet. There are three or four exchanges that we know of that are launching in, in, in uh, offshore. They're in Asia and Europe. Once the US gets into that, once the SEC gets out of the way and realizes that, okay, we'll, you know, ring the bell and allow options to be traded on qualified underlyings. Okay. Not every altcoin should have derivatives on it. That is going to be explosive. It's going to be insane. Today, on any given day in the listed options market, there's in excess of 40 million contracts traded. Four years ago, that was less than a quarter of that. Okay. So, we went from 15, 16, 17 million a day to 40, 45, and even touching 50 million a day in four years in the listed option market. Imagine what it's going to be with the top 10 or 20 organized assets. And for that company, Deribit, that trades the bulk of those contracts today, they're going to explode even though their market share will be drastically reduced. 
you're just going to have a much bigger pie. You're going to have maybe five times as much volume as you do today in two years with six or eight global exchanges trading this. What needs to happen from an infrastructure standpoint? There needs to be better links to these exchanges with algos to do arbitrage and spreading. Deribit doesn't have a spread book that's really super popular in the U.S. with listed options. We have that. We're going to be rolling that out next year with um, a major U.S. exchange. And you're, it's going to be offshore, though. And you're going to see this explosive growth and an opportunity for people who are fans of the space to use their risk-reward profiles in trading to a much finer point by using options. That's it. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Good direction to go with because it kind of goes to the KYC part of the, the risk reward and risk tolerance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the sort of usual way that people treat crypto is without regard to their own risk mm-hmm. tolerance, right? And then part of that goes just because of, you know, it's, it's, it's used younger and, you know, I don't think, you know, a younger a trader necessarily even knows what their risk tolerance is. They just want to YOLO and make mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. How does, his the name of this page, I named this purposely, you know, trading crypto professionally. How do you think through sort of the, uh, the risk tolerance questionnaire type of dynamics when it comes to trading crypto as this becomes more institutional? It's going to be, I think, more attention paid to potential fiduciary responsibilities to make sure that somebody who's trading crypto actually can withstand right. all those. Perfect. That's in place today in traditional markets. And I see a lot of, I want to say, copy, paste. But in a few of these new exchanges that we're dealing with, there are chief risk officers on staff for this purpose. Now, in, you know, in the business that I grew up in with the OCC, which is like one of the greatest creations ever where all these options are fungible. They settle overnight. You have no problem. Money's in your account. Then you have a brokerage system with prime brokers or, you know, clearing firms in between. And then you have, if you're a retail person, you have your retail broker that maintains a rule set of margin and options parlance haircut based on your capital. Okay, so that doesn't exist yet in the crypto options world. And you have, you know, everything has to be fully paid for. So that really limits uh, what can be traded, right? That's coming. And I'm, like I said, I'm seeing that in a couple of these exchanges. The things that are, I would not say 100% of what you see in traditional finance are going to make it over to trading crypto derivatives, I think there's going to be a picking and choosing. And I think there's going to be kind of a best in breed that comes up. Why? Because we're creating a brand new landscape. I mean, the product is going to be, you know, 14 years old here in January and still, you know, less than 10% of investing public 
has ever tried it. And, you know, probably, you know, more than half or six, more than 60% of the investing public doesn't even understand it or know what we're talking about. And that's going to change with real world assets trading. That's all going to change. Just to uh, reset the room for the remaining events, everybody, please make sure you follow Tally here on X. If any of you have any questions, click that bottom left micro request button. And as always, this will be in a podcast under Lead Lag Live on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. Earlier, you had been mentioned overlending and overleverage. And I always use that line that overconfidence leads to leverage, leads to crashes. I've got to imagine that on the infrastructure side, the risk management has to be incredibly tight, maybe even a higher standard than traditional markets, given the volatility dynamics. Mm-hmm. Talk about that as sort of a major consideration for businesses that are dealing with the back end. I've got to. I've got to imagine that one of those things where, yes, there there have been blowups, but the more that the public gets involved in uh, the crypto space, the more systemic a risk that could be for those firms that are not doing it the right way. Well, so three years ago, you guys will remember the meme stock craze and how, you know, particular stocks like GameStop and others went nuts. And clearing firms and brokerage firms all of a sudden, you know, started locking down the ability to just do basic trades. It's legendary that Robin Hood stepped in and, you know, made some moves to protect one of their, you know, big partners or clients or something. But those kind of situations happen because of the increased volatility in the stock market. You have that possible, you know, every minute of every day in some of these altcoins that will swing, you know, 10 or 15% within an hour because they're so thinly traded and the the price is so cheap, you know, under a penny or whatever. I think there's the rule set that's going to come down from FINRA or, you know, it's either going to be SEC or CFTC. So there would either be NFA under uh, FTC or FINRA under SEC that are going to govern some of these rule sets. You're going to have where we have today shocking a position up 15% or down 15% in price, same 15% in vol, and then an interest rate shock. And then there's a liquidity factor that plays into these margin packages. I think those are all going to be start out at much bigger numbers because of the movement. And then they'll hone in based on the size of your account and you know how long you've been doing this. But I know companies are chopping at the bit to have this happen. It's long overdue. It's happening, you know, in other jurisdictions. I think Darabit is based in Panama, you know, although I think they're Dutch guys that started it. And why shouldn't the U.S. have this on, you know, in country, on soil here? Because it makes sense. Some of, the, some of these coins are a joke, but some of the companies behind the tokens are real. They're innovative. And it's a precursor for digitizing more and more assets that you can look at, like real estate, for instance, or carbon credits or trucking receipts. And very soon, assets you can't look at, like your future earning power, your marketing desires in terms of what products you like and the things that big tech's been stealing from us for the last 15 or 18 years, that's all changing, you know, with the cookie apocalypse that's upon us now and the various rule sets mostly emanating from the UK to begin with and the EU to begin with that are going to give us our 
freedoms back and our the control over our data back, they will be digitized and become tradable assets. Let's go to some of the audience. The, the things that you just mentioned have been obvious, but they're going to change rapidly. Look at BlackRock and look, you know, look at some of the governments that, you know, they've gone through phases of condemning this as an evil to, you know, trying to worry people that it was uh, unsafe and risky. And now they're trying to meet to it and if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, BlackRock's a prime example. Only six months prior to filing uh, for an ETF, uh, Larry Fink was on the dais uh, doing the same thing that Jamie Dimon did, you know, trashing Bitcoin, you know, because it's something they can't control. So that's going to change. And you have to bifurcate or actually trifurcate banking institutions. You have, you know, the top tier, the largest banks that are, for the most part, in league with regulators, in league with the governments to help craft the rule set. And then you have a bottom tier of local and regional banks and a mid-tier that kind of drift back and forth that are struggling for survival and want, when you say that they don't want to be involved in digital assets, is because they don't have the tools to handle it. And do they want to be in digital assets? They abs- If you talk to the bank presidents and chief risk officers, yes, they do. But they need to be able to have a proper rule set from the regulators and the tools to uh, manage it. A couple things on that. And this is a very big topic, a very evolving topic that's going to bust open in the first quarter. And that is, if you look at 1844, all the banks in the U.S. that were that around then were communicating through Pony Express and Stagecoach until Samuel Morris sent the first message from Washington to Baltimore. And within two years, based on the demand of those businesses, primarily banking institutions, the U.S. strung wire from the East to the West so that by 1890, or I'm sorry, 1850 for sure, the banks were able to communicate through the telegraph, okay? And that's what's happening today. They don't have digital infrastructure to be able to handle what is a bearer instrument, okay? Bitcoin, ETH, Solana, Cardano, you name it, they're all bearer instruments. So if you go into a bank with $10,000 in cash, they have a way to verify that cash is real, take it in. It's a bearer instrument. So are cryptocurrencies, but they don't have the tools to do that. That is coming now. That, and what they need is a nod from the Fed, a nod from the Treasury, that an acceptable set of tools. And it isn't only technology. It's a rule set. It's a verification mechanism. It's education, okay? And those things are being packaged to give these bank presidents and chief risk officers the wherewithal to protect their business from the big guys because the big guys are going to take over and use a digital dollar, a digital replicant and reach down into the masses, which is what they don't do today due to local banking, regional banking, you know, with, where the, the bulk of the mortgages and small business loans come from your local bank. So that, you know, you'll listen to this in six months or a year and you'll go, oh, that's what he was talking about. That's what's happening.
I don't know if that answered your liquidity question. The liquidity will be there. The big boys are signing up now. There's an exchange launching here shortly called Prometheum. They're claiming that all tokens are securities. I don't know if they're 100% right, but even if they're just partially right, which I think they are, the big boys are going to come in and trade digital assets within the guise of the SEC and FINRA on their platform. But I think you'll see a bifurcation of securitized tokens and non-securitized tokens. And then once the rule set is there, Citadel, Virtu, Simplex, Husqvarna, Wolverine. Sorry, guys, if I left any of you guys out, but there's about a dozen IMC. There's about a dozen, 14 big liquidity houses that will jump in and take over and provide liquidity. So it'll be a good thing for the top, you know, 100, maybe 200 tokens. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. What are some of the other, just from your experience, other things that, you know, you talk about, the, we're using the word tools, other types of tools that y- you think will be out there that are evolving that, you know, the real professional traders looking to the crypto space will be using. I mean, everybody's, I think, oh, the line out there is that trading crypto is the purest form of tech analysis. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Right. But that's not a tool. That's just sort of an observation, mm-hmm. right? And so right. I don't. So, so, so what are the sort of more professional tools that you, you envision will be coming out that will make the space more interesting? A combination of artificial intelligence, learning capabilities inside of algos. Okay, so, so the user has a time frame, a user, you know, a trader, a speculator, a hedger, investor, whoever is using the product. We just, you know, euphemistically call them a user, but a trader has a time frame, they have a investment thesis, they have a risk reward profile, they have a daily personal. So, you know, about 30 years ago, I I did a lot of work for about two or three years with Mark Douglas, Van Tharp, about the psychology of trading and understanding an individual has personal differences on a day-to-day basis, sometimes hourly, and you're predisposed predisposition to your feelings and your different appetites of risk and, and, and your patience and such, what, what you might call, you know, I'll put it under the heading of discipline, all play a role in your decision-making. And that can be learned uh, through, a, you know, a simple AI package that's embedded in the proper algos. Now, the big boys have those today, uh, not necessarily due to the, uh, or for the personalities of their traders, but for the personality of the department or the company in terms of their uh, risk profile or appetite, you know, given that day, what's going on in the market and so on. Those type of tools, Michael, will, you know, be available for individuals. There'll be little pods, you'll have different parameters you'll be able to put in, and then it'll learn based on your habits, and that'll help you execute your ideas. So that's one big thing that's going to be, and it's going to be very much attuned 
to digital assets based on its nature. Also, you know, just being able to do what you do mobily, continuous mobile access, because it is a 24-7 business. There's, there's a lot of access today, but bringing these additional tools or, you know, software modules that are integrated as previous caller Jonathan said, you know, liquidity access to liquidity. You look at multiply listed altcoins and the price disparity between venues is pretty extreme percentage wise. That'll start to get tightened up as more liquidity providers come into the marketplace. And you may be able to do that yourself you know, as an individual and add liquidity and take liquidity in some of the different DEXs and centralized exchanges. I think the biggest piece that is hampering the business right now is the margin capabilities. You know, you have to uh, open accounts with whoever you're trading with. You have to have money on, on deposit there. And it just makes it difficult to create structures or ARBs due to splitting your capital up. And that's going to change in this coming year also. How, how important is having a first mover advantage or just in general, having a wide moat when it comes to setting up the back end, the infrastructure, all this? I mean, I've got to assume that, you know, there's a lot of money that's now flowing probably more aggressively than ever in the space. Is it, is it one of the things where it's easy to become, you know, a back end solution provider like what you built and not to diminish it by any means, obviously, but you're trying to get to that question of how far ahead are you versus others? Well, the mode is important and it's hard to peel away clients that are using a competitor if the competitor is average or above because it's just the inertia and all that goes into replacing a system that you're, you know, comfortable with, even if it isn't you know, completely meeting your needs. So that is a big deal, Michael. The the, the biggest competitor is in-house development. Everybody thinks they can do it and they don't realize. I mean, in TradFi, the banks and brokerages all in the 90s thought, oh, you know, this internet thing, we're going to just do it ourselves. And they spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars trying to get it right. And then finally now, today, most of them, use trusted third parties to do the specialized activities because of change. It's constantly changing. You're constantly updating a new destination, you know, adding new destinations, updating feature sets, bringing the latest technology into the system. So a a good vendor, proper vendor is going to bring you much more value for your money than trying to do it in-house. In the crypto space, everybody started out saying, oh, yeah, we can just do this. And little by little, they're realizing, you know what? I'm a trader or I'm a broker. That's what I do best. I should probably stick to that and not make the mistakes of, you know, trying to build it all myself. So a moat for a decent competitor is a reasonable obstruction for competition to come in. But competitors also fail. And just because we have a a lead doesn't mean we're doing it, you know, properly or right. So you have to stay on your game. You have to pay close attention to customer service and listen to your, you know, listen to your client base and, you know, try to stick to your knitting as much as possible. As the company grows, as volumes grow, as money flows, is that 
customer support part of it's the part that's going to need the most uh, bodies. I mean, the, how, how scalable it is, you know, is a business like yours depending upon the different functions of the right. employees? So we have three levels of service. All, you know, tech shops or brokerages would identify it as such. Of level one that actually is in contact with the user, the client. Level two needs that level one to bridge over and talk to dev. And maybe there's, you know, a problem, user problem, uh, user created problem. And then level three is there's something that's broken or a bug that's found and you got to get engineers involved. The key is to have as few, uh, a, a few of any of those actually, but to the level one support, you know, the, the system needs to be as bug free, easy to use. And the people on the front line actually doing the customer interface, heavily trained, hopefully a lot of years in seat where they can, you know, they have a lot of experience and, you know, support people in our space are, you know, extremely valuable. And with Liquid Point, we shined, that was um, one of my earlier companies, we shined in that respect. I carried that on with Matrix, which is my broker dealer that's actively in the top three execution providers for listed options, heavy duty on customer service, heavy duty in terms of specialization. You know, we have an Algos team. We have a, a team that will verify, you know, trade verification if something happens, error resolution, things like that. And we've modeled that here at Liquid Mercury to embrace that. So we try to give, you know, white glove service to we're a B2B and a B2B2C business. So our businesses that we're servicing, we form a good relationship with them and try to, you know, stay ahead of the, stay ahead of the issues. How scalable can it be? Well, we do use some call center software. If, if there are a lot of instances at one moment for some reason to help us on that, but you know, we are all about hiring people to do this. And I think it's, it's pretty scalable for us, given the, the work tools that we use on this side of the support. And do you, is it true that there's a, similar to what you heard with other industries, there's a, a shortage of skilled you know, labor that can fill those needs at, you know, when it comes to the space, which is still relatively new? Yes, at the right price. You're right. Because we really need and, and employ those that have a great degree of engineering understanding because the, you know, technology, it, it's not complicated, but it is complex. And an understanding of that, you know, we have different tiers of support where the junior people are learning from the senior people and those senior people typically have some chops in understanding development and, you know, engineering that that's not to say that we can't train them up and, you know, we're hopeful that we'll continue, you know, most of our shop is us based. Although we do have engineers that are near shore in, you know, just South of the border. And, you know, we, you know, we work really well with other cultures that, you know, are a little bit more eager and hungrier possibly than Americans. and have a different lifestyle or socio socioeconomic environment that we can get value there and have more people for the same cost as if they were all located here in Chicago or Miami. Tony, for those that want to track more of 
what you're doing and, and maybe are just kind of curious about this side of the industry, where would you point them to? Tracking, well, if you go to our website, liquidmercury.com, all one word, liquidmercury, we have a section that I'll actually answer questions for the most part that people lob in. We have a comms portal that people can get on. We have a, a token that we just launched. It's called the Merc, M-E-R-C. Trades on three or four venues already. Of course, DeFi. And people can access us for education, for some third-party trading tools that we've curated that we think are, are good enough and useful. You know, with ownership of the Mercs, there's a rewards program too for people. You know, it's, a, it's cheap. It's under a penny. But we're very interactive with the end user, even though we build tools for their brokers or for agents. We white label a lot of our stuff, Michael. So they may be trading on some of our stuff today if they're trading actively with, with a broker or a, an influencer that has white labeled our technology. But if they go to liquidmercury.com or if they can hit me up on X, you know, my my handle is, we've got a number of different accounts. I think I'm on, this one is Power, Power Pro Digital on X, but dub liquidmercury.com. Everybody, again, please we keep a follow to Tony here. I have a number of spaces coming up into year end. So hopefully I'll see all of you there. And Tony, uh, wish you the best of luck. I, I, was like, I always give a lot of credence to entrepreneurs and obviously you've had a successful career. And you're in a space which is growing. So excited to see how far you guys go. Michael, thank you so much. And, and congrats to your success and great audience too. I'm a, I'm a admirer, so I appreciate you giving me the uh, time. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.